And as I was thinking about that weird tension, I was reminded of my summer between my senior year of high school, my freshman year of college. I was interning in my youth group, and I was dating, like, the queen of the youth group. She was homecoming queen and, like, really involved and taught in nursery and stuff, so we were, like, the youth group poster children. And uh, we had gone into the church office for something, and my worship pastor, who is not a nice person sometimes, came up and was like, hey, guys, how are y'all doing? So have y'all kissed yet? Have y'all kissed yet? And I'm, like, looking around, like, avoiding eye contact. He's like, because you know what kissing leads to, right? Sex. Nothing but sex, sex, sex. It just went on and on. And I felt, this is almost 20 years ago, and I can remember the carpet, I remember the clothing, I remember the smell of the office, like, it was one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. So really wanted to avoid it. At the same time, full disclosure here, at this point in my life, I'm regularly thinking about the fact that it is possible that Christ will return before I get married thereby robbing me of the opportunity to have sex. Like, this is a real thought for me. And so, obviously, the obsession thing, accurate. The avoiding thing, accurate. And and they're together at the same time. And if you can relate to that even a little bit, I think that's a great illustration of the reality that, that we've got brokenness. When it comes to sexuality, this tension of obsession and avoidance and obsession of avoidance, it's pervasive in our culture. And that's why we're doing this seminar this Friday and Saturday to talk about what does it look like to confront and to enter into our own brokenness. The the brokenness of each other in this fellowship and the brokenness out in our community. What does that look like? And to set up for that this morning, what we want to talk about is what exactly do we mean by sexual brokenness? What is that? And to understand sexual brokenness, obviously, we have to understand what sexual wholeness is. If it's broken, that means that at one point in time it wasn't broken. So what what was that like? What is sexual wholeness? So before we talk about sexual wholeness and sexual brokenness, we've got to go all the way back before the beginning and set things up a little bit. So if you'll bear with me for a little setup, we will be talking about sex in just a little bit. We want to set it up well and put it in its proper context. So we'll put up the next slide. Before the beginning, what we know is the beginning, and I've shared this before, we have the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in community with himself. And we say in community with himself, what we mean most basically is an unending, unbroken, and undiminishing sharing of life and love. The Father sharing life and love with the Son, and the Son sharing life and love with the Spirit, and the Spirit sharing life and love with the Father. Unending, unbroken, undiminishing. And then at what we think of as the beginning... The triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit decided to create. And part of that creative act was creating humanity. He decided to invite another creature into this relationship, the sharing of life and love. And this is how God describes us 
his creatures in Genesis. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So right at the the beginning, we get two facts about humankind. First, we're created in the image of God. And that's a big idea. And it, it means basically that we were created in such a way that we, when we are whole, and the Hebrew word for wholeness is, is what we interpret as peace, shalom. When we are whole and complete, we have a unique ability to reflect the creator. We can serve as a signpost pointing each other to the creator. That's what it means to be in his image. And so part of that is, since the triune God has been in community with himself from all eternity past to all eternity future, sharing life and love, we have this unique capacity to receive the life and love from him and to share it with each other. So first, we're created in his image. And second, we're created male and female. What does that mean? Well, next chapter, we have this. The man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. So God made a human and then decided to split that human and separate that human in such a way that there would be this magnetism that would constantly draw them back together. Man and woman, male and female, in Scripture says, because of this, because God split humanity in two, there's this naturally occurring magnetism so that a man is always looking for a woman that he can enter into. And a woman is always looking for a man that will enter into her. And that union will be restored. Why? Why do this? Thankfully, Paul, in the New Testament, talks about why. He quotes that passage from Genesis, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. But then he says this, This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So in this passage and in the the greater context of what he's talking about, what he says is, This relationship between man and woman, this magnetism, this bringing together of the man and the woman becoming one flesh, encountering the sexual experience and in that entering into a permanent and unbreakable covenant relationship, the reason this exists, the reason God split humanity in two, male and female, and allowed that magnetism to exist, was to be a reflection of God and his people, of Christ and the church. God created humanity to reflect his image. And he split humanity in two and created this magnetism so that a relationship between a man and a woman entering into an unbroken covenant sealed with that sexual act could be a reflection of Christ's pursuit of the church. So the relationship between man and woman is supposed to be this reflection of Christ's pursuit of the church. 
and the sexual act of a man and woman physically coming together is somehow integral to that relationship. It's somehow at the center of it. And if, if the sexual act is at the center of this reflection of Christ's relationship with the church, then sexuality in some way meant to reflect Christ's love for the church. So I want to talk about three ways that whole sexuality, complete sexuality, sexuality as it was created by God and envisioned at creation, reflects the very core of his love for us. First, whole sexuality demands vulnerability. Here we have in Genesis, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. When I'm talking to college students about sex, I say this is the goal. This right here is the goal for the human sexual experience. For a man and a woman to be completely naked in each other's sight and feel no shame. In this world, that is so rare. Because if you are completely exposed, you're completely vulnerable. And if in that place of complete nakedness and complete vulnerability, there is not complete trust and complete acceptance, there can only be shame. If there's complete nakedness and complete exposure And no shame, man, that's perfect vulnerability. And that is the picture of our Creator's love for us. Because the reality is, for every single one of us, we are only ever, always naked before our Creator. We cannot hide from Him, we are exposed. And if we are exposed, only one of two things can be true. We are insufficient and unacceptable and shameful. Or we are sufficient and acceptable. And in Christ, his death and resurrection, we are made acceptable. We are made sufficient. And we become those who are without shame. Whole sexuality demands, cannot exist without vulnerability. And that vulnerability is a picture, a dim picture of the complete vulnerability we can have without shame in the presence of our Creator and Savior. Second, whole sexuality creates intimacy. The first time Scripture addresses directly the sexual act, uh, the translation is Adam knew Eve, and I always kind of thought of that as a euphemism, like, oh, Adam knew Eve, and there's people joke about, oh, yeah, he knows her in a biblical sense. And so it's like glossing it over. But it's, it's not a euphemism. It's actually a really rich description. That Hebrew word that we translate knew is yada, and it speaks of a deep, deep, complete knowing. And so when Scripture says that Adam knew Eve, what Scripture is saying, what God is saying, is that in this 
whole sexuality, there is a, a deep, deep, deep knowing of each other. And this happens at a chemical level. There's a hormone in the human body called oxytocin. A lot of you moms might know about oxytocin. Oxytocin plays a lot of roles in our body, but there's only two times in human life that your body gets completely flooded with oxytocin. One is when a mother is nursing her child. When a mother is nursing her child, both the baby and the mother are flooded with oxytocin. In oxytocin, the purpose it serves is a, it's a bonding hormone. And it creates a relational bond. How crazy are our bodies? The, the, the nursing process triggers a flooding of a hormone that creates a relational bond between the mother and the child. And as you might guess, the only other time that the body is completely flooded with oxytocin is in sexual intimacy. When a man and woman are sexually intimate, both of their bodies are flooded with oxytocin, creating a real, actual, relational bond. Whole sexuality creates intimacy. And it's a reflection. God did not create us just to be his servants. He did not create us just to follow a list of rules. He created us first and foremost to enter into the relationship, the sharing of life and love that had been going on from eternity past. He created us to reflect who he is through our relational connection with him. So if we are to be fully human, it's going to involve knowing our creator as deeply as he knows us. And he says in the Psalms that he knew us before we were knit together in our mother's womb. He knows us fully. And we are called to fully know him. Whole sexuality creates intimacy, and that intimacy is a reflection and a pointing to the level of intimacy we are meant to have with our Creator. Last, whole sexuality brings creation. This is the most obvious one in Genesis. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So obviously, not every act of sexual consummation results in creation. But creation does not occur without it. And so God, in his sovereignty, chose that in this act of vulnerability and in this act of intimacy, there would be this unique opportunity to participate in what is only God's. Only God can create. Only God can make life. But in the sexual act, in this act, again, of vulnerability and intimacy... We are given the opportunity to participate in creation. And that participating in creation is pointing to our relationship with our Creator. Because the reality is, we only have life in Him. And when we are united with Him, we experience new life. Fresh life. Whole sexuality brings creation. And that creation is a a reflection of and pointing to God's relationship with us.
Now, here's what I'm not saying this morning. I'm not saying that for those of you that are single or divorced or widowed or infertile, that somehow you are unable to completely reflect the image of God. I'm not saying that, and Scripture's not saying that, because the most complete human that has ever existed, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully human, lived a full life on this earth, perfectly reflecting the image of God without experiencing the union of marriage. It's possible. So not saying that. What I am saying is that God did create sexuality. He did split humanity into man and woman and create this magnetism that causes us to constantly want to get back together in a way, in a covenant relationship that is unending, that reflects in our sexual intimacy the vulnerability and the intimacy and the creation that is perfectly true of our Creator's relationship with us. That's beautiful. So why in the world are we filled with this shame? Well, as you remember, Adam and Eve, we left them completely naked and without shame in each other's presence. Because as they were created, they knew intrinsically that Their life and love came from the Creator. And so their focus was on God. And they walked with each other, completely naked, completely exposed, vulnerable, with their focus on where they received their life and love from, that they may share it with each other. And at the fall, where the accuser, the enemy, Satan, comes and gets them to disobey God, what's happening there at root is not about the taking of a piece of fruit. It's about the first humans taking their eyes off of the Creator as the source of life and love and looking to themselves to provide it. In the moment they took their eyes off of their Creator as that source of life and love and looked to themselves to provide it, this is what happened. From nakedness to clothing. When they looked at themselves, they saw insufficiency, and they had to cover it up. And at the moment of the fall, every aspect of humanity's capacity to reflect the image of God was broken. Not destroyed, but broken. Our capacity in every aspect of our humanness to reflect who God is and what His love is like is broken. And that includes our sexuality, and those three aspects that are intrinsic to whole sexuality get turned on their heads. First, broken sexuality, instead of demanding vulnerability, demands hiddenness. We see that at the fall. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. We were wired, hardwired to be receivers and givers of life and love. We were not created to be takers 
And when we become takers, our focus is shifted to ourselves and we are filled with shame. And when we feel shame, we want to hide. Broken sexuality demands hiddenness. Which is why, while I would wager my mortgage on the fact that over half of the people in this room have an ongoing addiction to pornography, most of you have not shared that with anyone. Because it needs to remain hidden. This is why, while as Stacy said that a third of the ladies in this room in all likelihood have been abused, Most of you have never shared that with anyone. Because it's got to stay hidden. Because it brings shame. That's why things like Snapchat are originally created to allow indulgence that then disappears. So it can be hidden. Why the $100 billion porn industry is rampant around the globe fueled by human trafficking that is invisible to us, but just 60 miles south at our airport, one of the primary hubs for human trafficking is taking place. But it remains hidden. It's full of shame. Broken sexuality demands hiddenness. Second, broken sexuality creates exploitation. Remember, whole sexuality creates intimacy. And we see in the first reference to the sexual act in Genesis, Adam knew Eve. He knew her deeply. He knew her fully. In contrast, look at this first reference to rape in Scripture. When Shechem, son of Hamor, the Hivite, who was chief of that region, saw her, he took her and raped her. Sexual wholeness. Adam knew Eve, knew her deeply, knew her completely. Sexual brokenness. He saw her, he took her. We were created to receive. We were created to give. We were not created to take. But in our brokenness, we seek to take. And if we're going to take, someone has to be taken from. That's the very heart of exploitation. To take without any regard for consequence, without any regard for harm. Sexual brokenness creates exploitation. Exploitation in families mired in abuse. Exploitation of entire societies where the primary economy is sexual trafficking. Exploitation of our very souls. Sexual brokenness creates exploitation. And last, broken sexuality brings destruction. Whole sexuality brings creation. We participate in what is God's. In broken sexuality, we have destruction, physical destruction. Over a third of United States citizens have an STD. Over a third be even higher if we took out people that are not sexual age yet. 
That is because when sexuality spills over the borders of what it was initially created for, intended for, intimate sharing between a man and a woman in a covenant, we break. When we use ourselves in a way that we were not created for, we break. We break emotionally. That awesome oxytocin that creates bonds between mothers and children and husbands and wives. We don't have an oxytocin switch. We can't turn it off. So when we choose to take, fulfill the desires that were given by God, and take with whoever we are with, we create bond after bond after bond after bond. When those bonds are broken, they do leave scars. Broken sexuality brings relational destruction. I feel like every month I'm hearing about another family that's being destroyed because a father or a mother has decided that they are tired of giving and receiving and are ready to take. With no regard to children, with no regard to spouse. No more giving, no more receiving. It's time to take. So we are created for this beautiful sexuality that demands vulnerability and brings intimacy and uh, creates intimacy and brings creation in a way that uniquely reflects God's relationship with us. But in our brokenness, we become full of hiddenness exploitation and destruction. For many of you sitting here today, your response to this internally is just feeling greater shame. Because of the hiddenness that is in you. The hiddenness of being a victim of sexual brokenness. The hiddenness of being a perpetrator of sexual brokenness. Or both. And the enemy, the accuser that first brought that brokenness into our world would want nothing more than for you to stay right there. Hidden. Full of shame. That's what he wants. That's his goal. But the reason we started this morning at creation, where we were whole, is that that is God's intention for us. Christ's incarnation coming to this earth to live, to die, to raise again, was to restore what was broken. In Isaiah, he says he came to bind up the brokenhearted. To set the captives free. As Stacy shared earlier, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our wounds will create scars, but there can be healing in the scars. Christ is whole, Christ is complete, but he has scars. And this morning he calls us 
to completeness, to wholeness, to shalom with our scars. So I'd ask three things of you this morning. First, I would ask you to drag what is in darkness into the light. It is scary, but it's necessary. If you're married, talk to your spouse. Talk to a pastor. Talk to an elder. Talk to Stacy. Talk to someone. Bring what is darkness into the light. Replace the shame with healing. Secondly, come next weekend. It's free. Diane Langberg is an anointed servant who speaks with power and wisdom. And third, as in your life, in this fellowship, in Rome, as you travel online, as you encounter people whose sexual brokenness looks different than yours. Do not be a contributor to their shame. Do not be used by the enemy to keep what is hidden, hidden. We are all broken. And we serve one another only as we receive life and love from the Creator and share life and love with each other. He is making all things new. Let's pray.